Let's stand this morning. Let's sing an old hymn of the church. It simply just says, There is wonder working power in the blood of the Lamb. Let's worship the Lord this morning.
praise in this house this morning. Amen. Would you remain standing this morning for scripture and prayer? For all those joining online, we welcome you this morning. Can we welcome with a hand of a welcome to all of our online guests this morning uh, joining us today? Let's welcome them today. Welcome to church. God bless you today. Okay. I remember the mic. We've been talking about people coming to the house of the Lord, or not. We have people that watch online. We appreciate all of those people. Uh, but there's something about being in the house. Well, David said it this way. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself. For she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of the Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. I go from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wickedness. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Praise the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank him for everything he's done. We pray that you'll touch those that can't be here because they're ill, those that have to work, pray to be with them. And those that just aren't here because they're not here, we pray the Lord will touch them, bless them, and bring them into the house of the Lord. Kind Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise your holy name for this opportunity to come before you in prayer, to worship and fellowship. Lord, we thank you for having such a wonderful house of prayer and a house to come into. Lord, we lift you up and praise you and give you thanks for everything. For a good shepherd, Lord, we thank you. For the music you've allowed us to have and allowed us to play, Lord, we thank you. For every good thing, we thank you, Lord. We thank you because of the storm that just passed, Lord. We thank you for being with us and helping us in that. Lord, I pray that you will continue to abide with us and help us to do every good thing that you would have us to do, Lord. Pray that you will continue to deliver us and help us, Lord, to be able to reach out to others with your good name and your good works, Lord. Help us to have a heart that is big, Lord, and a heart that is big to give. Lord, there's so many things that we are trying to accomplish. We pray that you will be in them and help us, Lord, to do all of this and do it in Jesus' holy, precious name. We ask, amen. Amen. Let's remain standing this morning. Continue in worship. God who is, we worship the God who evermore. 
joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet. Lord, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise.
day we're going to cross. I'll cross that
all over. Can we declare this today? For because he lives, or I can face tomorrow, because Father, we feel the sweet, sweet spirit, your presence in this house. We love you. We worship you. We magnify your name. Father, as we get ready to, in just a few moments, break the bread of life, let us not get out of this moment of worship with you. Lord, the word is just another facet of worship. It doesn't stop. It doesn't quit. So, Lord, today we're asking you to just sit down in our presence and just saturate us with your glory. Be with us in the solemn and secrecy of this moment. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord today. Aren't you thankful for the presence of the Lord? He always makes a difference when he comes by. I don't want you to think just because we're getting ready to go into the word of the Lord that just means that we just stop worshiping the Lord. Just because it's time for the word of the Lord doesn't mean that God's not uh, not still worthy to be praised and worshiped. While you're turning, I want you to go to the book of Romans. While you're turning there, let me just say a couple of housekeeping items. As always parents please don't forget to sign your children out of children's church today those online always you can always download our the our church app search santee circle cog find out more information or check us out at santeecirclecog.org all our services are archived online also they're on google and apple podcast if you want to hear those services as always there's multiple ways to give in the house of the lord in person in the offering boxes by mail 
uh, on the tithe.ly app, which some of you already do, and online at santeecirclecog.org backslash give. Uh, due to the contagiousness right now going around, we have postponed offering collections again for a little while. It seems like every time I get a great idea of let's doing something uh, with, when it comes to terms of uh, offerings or you know getting to back to a sense of normalcy, we get another variation of something. And so we're trying to keep you safe. So for now, we're still keeping the collections with the wooden boxes so that we don't have to have a lot of transfer uh, of, of money or hands back and forth uh, with that. So make sure you, you know, remember those things. Immediately also after church, though, we will have the offering bags in the back. Don't forget, we are trying to collect over the next month or so some funds towards the Church of God Home for Children. I mentioned it two weeks ago. Every year they do a harvest festival drive. It helps supply all of the uh, needs they need, you know, like canned goods and things like that. And every district in South Carolina has certain things they like for them to do. Some do like barbecue sauces or spaghettis or things like that. Some do toiletries and things like that. And the Monk's Corner area that includes our church uh, and uh, St. Stephen's and the other Monk's Corner church and... Uh, Gosh, I just drew a blank. Oakley Road, uh, was, and uh, there's one other one. Brother Benny, there we go. I'll remember it. The four of us. Our jobs, or our, our district, is supposed to be either buying or raising money for toiletry items like paper towels, toilet paper, things like that. Well, I don't really want to drive a van of toilet paper up there if I can help it. So we're going to collect the money and let them, because they have, because of their way their organization is run with the Home for Children and the government, they can get in bulk a lot of things by going to certain companies and getting discounts and in bulk. So actually, in reality, they could get more by the money than we would if we probably collected it, in, you know, in terms of just the toiletries. And so we're collecting it. I, I don't remember the exact dollar amount. I think we're 100 and something in there already, 128, 128 in there already. But we're going to collect it all the way through till February uh, and, and then send a check off for that. Um, but I'd love to, you know, whether it's 200 300 400 500 you know $500, that's a lot of toilet paper and uh, paper towels. But you know what? I don't know what other churches in the district are doing. That's really not my concern. Um, but I do believe that the Bible says that pure and undefiled religion before God is to take care of the widows and the orphans. And our Church of God Home for Children for many, many years has taken in the children that nobody else wanted. Uh, mamas and daddies maybe couldn't, couldn't take them or couldn't deal with them or whatever or couldn't have you know the resources to provide for them they got put in foster care systems and they could have ended up in anybody's home but they ended up in a church of god home where they go to a church of god church service three times a week sunday morning sunday night and wednesday they get to hear the word of the lord they have christian house parents they go to schools that pr promote and teach the word of the lord and uh and and the you know i firmly believe that if you don't take care of your own then who will and uh and they're our children you know whether we know them or not they are church of god orphans and some of them have came out of the home and went out and got productive jobs in society and have come back and are now serving in the home in various capacities. Uh, so it's a, a very successful and vibrant ministry. Uh, and so I firmly believe in, in that. So we're trying to collect as much as we can. And so if you, you know, we'll have the little maroon burgundy offering bags standing in the back. Some of the teenagers or myself will have the bag after church holding them right here at the double doors. If you want to drop something in, we'll be doing this for the next couple weeks. As much as you can give or as little as you can give, I know the Lord will bless us. It's not about raising the most money or getting some plaque or award at state conventions and camp meetings. 
but it is about making sure that our children are taken care of. And I know most of us in here, if it was our grandchildren or our child, we'd do anything in the world we had to do to make sure they had what they needed. And if you can go spend two, $300 on children and grandchildren for Christmas, uh, I'm sure we can afford $20 here and there to help those who don't have anything and, uh, and bless them. And so I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm just trying to tell you that it's near and dear to my heart. And I believe that you can never outgive God. I don't think that if we give them that money's incentive, we're going to miss it. I believe God will somehow, some way get it back to us, whether it's in physical liquid cash and in hand or somebody comes by and donates something for hundreds of dollars. You never can outgive God. And uh, our our last two years financial report shows that we can we can have to spend it to do certain things, to buy systems and to buy things, to upgrade the facilities, but we still get in the black every time. So God always provides for his church, and I believe that. And so uh, please don't forget that this morning. We're in the middle of our 21 days of fasting and prayer. We're on the last week. We're in what I call the home stretch. We're almost there, y'all. We're going to be there. By next Sunday morning, you'll be wishing that I was done preaching before 12 so you can actually get good food for a change. You're almost there. One more week. If you can just make it seven more days. If you're like some people I know, they'll sit up on Saturday night till midnight to see it flip over to January 30th and have their cup of coffee at 12.01 just so they can finally taste it again. Uh, some folks have done that. I have been known to go to Waffle House at 12 o'clock at night on Saturday night, flipping into Sunday morning, waiting for them to make bacon. I'll order it at 11.55 so that it shows up at my table at 12.05, and I will literally just smell it for five minutes before I eat it just because it's that delightful, delightful to me. I can't tell you how hard it was last week. I went to uh, Waffle House uh, last Sunday night after church, and I just got some hash browns and eggs. And some folks had bacon, and I just sat there and looked at it across the table and thought, you think it would be wrong if I just took my toast and dipped it in the grease? I didn't eat the bacon. Could I just put the grease on my toast? Would that work? But, uh, but the Lord is good, and, uh, and we're almost there, y'all. We're there. We're on the home stretch. Uh, the Lord's certainly been, I mean the Lord, the devil's certainly been fighting us through this with uh, COVID cases within the church. We've had, third, I think last count was 13 or 14 positive cases over the last two weeks. So it's not been a smooth ride. Uh, but uh, but none have been in hospitals, amen. None have been on ventilators. None are at death's door. Uh, we haven't lost anyone. And uh, at the end of the day, most of those 13 cases, the majority of them are on the backhand, the backhand side of that, if you will, or on the downhill swing of that. Many of them come out of quarantine tomorrow or shortly thereafter. Some have already come. Uh, people like. Um, uh, uh, Sister Patricia Lambert, some of them are getting over their battle. They're getting there. They're kind of coming down off their thing. They're, they're better. Sister Jeannie is out of her quarantine, so she's doing children's church this morning. We've missed her the last couple weeks. She's out of quarantine. So God's beginning to get them, get them back. We've got a few that are sick this morning, uh, like the Carlson family, who are, they're not sick, but were exposed to COVID, so they want to make sure they don't bring it to the church. So they're staying home and laying low, but they're praying that they don't have anything and all goes well. They'll be out of quarantine on Wednesday. They can get back next week and others. And, and uh, so God's helped us get through it. Even though the devil might have fought us a little bit, God's sustained us and got us through it. And uh, we got one more night of prayer and fasting uh, service uh, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. It's the last one. Uh, man, we have had some wonderful times in the Lord. We have prayed. We have cried together. We've worshiped together. We've lamented together. We've celebrated together. And uh, I'll tell you what, I wasn't sure exactly how these 21 days of fasting and prayer services would go, but I've really enjoyed them. I've liked them.
they have been uh, quite exciting. I'm not going to lie. They have been wonderful. And uh, so if you can make it, please try to be here for prayer and fasting service tomorrow. If not, you can always watch us online. We have it streamed every, every time. You can watch online. Join with us because I'm telling you, there's something powerful when the people of God come together and we worship together and we pray together. Life, life changes take place. Stuff, stuff just changes in the atmosphere. So please make sure that. As always, we're in our sermon series, finishing up the next two weeks on our sermon series, Spiritual Detox, The Art and the Heart of Fasting. And we're going to be talking about that today. As you stand all over the house, I've let you sit for a moment if you'll rest on your feet for about a minute, minute and a half. There's not a lot of scriptures today, very few, uh, but they're very powerful. And here's what the Word of the Lord says in Romans chapter 12. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1 and read down to verse 2. And then we'll have one more scripture out of the book of Proverbs. Here's what the word of the Lord says. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Notice what he says in verse 2. After you do that, and do not be conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The key element here is that first line. But do not be conformed to this world. Proverbs 25, verse 28. Here's what the writer of Proverbs, the wisest man, said. He said, He that hath no rule over his own spirit... Is like a city that is broken down without walls. What the writer, the, the uh, excuse me, Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, he said this. He said, someone who can't control their own body, their own urges, their own desires, someone who can't keep their body and their life and their mind and everything about them under subjection, is like a city who is defenseless. That the enemy can come in at any moment and attack. Because a city broken down without walls is vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. Now, watch what I just said. The Apostle Paul said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Solomon says, He who cannot control his own self, and know when to say no, and know how to stay under the subjection and rule of the Holy Spirit, is like a city without a walls, it leaves you vulnerable to the attacks and prey victimized by the enemy. So today I want to talk to you about something that is very dear to me. We've been talking about fasting. We have talked about how do you fast, what are types of fast. Fasting is essential, it is biblical, it is beneficial. We've talked about the variations. But what happens when the fasting's over? Next Sunday morning when you walk in here, what happens when it's over? And here's what I want to talk to you about. How to avoid the relapse. How to avoid a spiritual relapse. Father, to the best of my ability, I pray under the ruling of your Holy Spirit, you would lead, guide, and protect me. Hide me behind the cross of Calvary and help me to preach your unadulterated word of God to the people of God today. And I am asking God with everything in my being today to speak to the hearts and lives of your people God no matter what is said or done I am asking you in this moment in the secrecy of this hour to reveal yourself to our hearts and to our lives 
We will forever give you the praise, the glory, and honor that is due your name. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. And the people of God together said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord today. How do you avoid the relapse? Because here's the bottom line. One of the things that happens in fasting so oftentimes is the fact that after you come off of fasting, you go through this moment, if you will, in time, where if you're not careful, you'll fall back into the habits you had before you went on fasting. Oftentimes, things will happen in the life of a believer that will draw you. In fact, as I began to put this message together, I started thinking about those who battle drug and alcohol addictions. And I thought about how many times you hear countless stories of people who, if you will, so to speak, they'll, for a season of time, want to change. They'll ask for someone to put them in a detox program or put them in some type of rehabilitation because they want to get better. And... They'll go for a season of time, but the fear is always the uncertainty of what will happen once they finish detox, because they can't stay there forever. So if they go for 12 weeks, or they go for 8 weeks, or however long it is, what happens when they graduate from the program and they say, okay, you're going to have to get out, we've got other people to bring in? What happens? And the fear is often that if they're not careful, that these same folks will relapse is the word they use. They will go back to their old patterns of behaviors. Their new, some of them, their newfound identity and freedom is enough to keep them from returning their old way of life. But for others, the pull and temptation and the drawback from their previous life is too much for them to handle and they fall prey and victimized by the ferocious grip of what they used to know. Their friends come calling again. The people they used to associate with and hang out with come calling again. The draw to the taste of that alcohol or that addictive drug comes drawing them again. Some folks will do their very best to try to stay close to their sponsor or try to stay as close to the person that they can in terms of that. But others will give up. They'll quit. They'll decide that this is just not enough. They just, they just can't do this anymore. It's not for them. They just, they're just done. They're not going to continue to live like that or to continue to engage in that behavior. And then others, others will go through seasons where they were doing good for a couple months. Sometimes they'll do this to run the good for a couple years. And then one thing will trigger them, and they'll fall right back into where they used to be. I have heard countless stories from various people that have family members that have struggled with alcohol or drug addictions, and we have talked. I teach at CLM, and we talk very often in different meetings about this. There's a lot of times in life that these people, even if it's for a year, the goal is we never want them to go back to where they used to be. We never want them to go back to being the alcoholic. We never want them to go back to being the drug addict. We never want them to go back to losing their family or losing their children or losing their their job. We don't want them to go back to what they used to know. And so our jobs that we try to do is try to keep them from relapsing or going back to that. But there are sometimes we just can't stop them. Things happen. Unfortunately, they have a death. 
or some traumatic event happens in their life or they remarry or they are, their wife or husband takes them back and then they end up divorcing. And in that despair and in that agony and that pain of that tragedy, they run back to what was comfortable to them, that life that they used to have. But can I tell you that if you're not careful, spiritually that's what will happen to a body of Christ if they're not careful. They'll go fasting for a while. We talked about how fasting will change your focal point. It will change your vision. It will give you clarity of vision. It will show you what God. It's not about moving God's hand all the time. But it will, it will remind you of how powerful and how awesome and majestic the Lord is. And what it does is it refocuses who God is in your life. But if you're not careful. And you're not paying attention. What will happen is you might be doing good for a week after fasting. Or two weeks after fasting. Maybe a month. Maybe you'll make six months still reading your Bible and praying and seeking the face of the Lord. But at some point in your life, if you're not careful, the devil will try his best to throw you a tragedy or a curveball or give you something you didn't expect with the hope and intent that you'll relapse. You'll go back to your former lifestyle. You'll stop reading your word. You'll stop praying. You'll stop fasting. You'll stop seeking the face of the Lord. Are you saying, Pastor, should I fast for every day or keep fasting for the rest of the year? No, that's not what I'm saying. But there are certain spiritual disciplines that once fasting has brought to light that maybe you need to get rid of some things out of your life. Maybe you need to stop listening to certain things in your life. Maybe you need to stop watching certain things in your life. Maybe you need to make some changes don't allow the day cut to come that when you get off the fast spiritually speaking that the devil comes in and you go back to what life was like before you and God got intimate together in your time of fasting so what happens is the devil doesn't like it when we fast he doesn't like it in fact it has been proven I've shared with you today just in this few minutes that we have been in this place that we have felt countless, if you will, attacks or detours or struggles in our 21 days. We have not had hardly any COVID cases in two years. Listen to what I'm saying. Don't think I'm making this stuff up. We had some pockets hit and miss. You know, Sister Beulah had it one time, but she was about the only person during that week. And then Brother Stan and Miss Brenda were quarantined for a couple weeks, and but that was about it. Brother Dennis and them had it, but that was about it during their week. But it was a little like one or two hit and miss. Very Not a widespread pandemic. We're talking just hit and miss. Just one here or one there, just sporadically. We started this fast on January the 9th. And within two weeks, we've had 14 cases out of nowhere. We haven't changed anything. We still sanitize the building. We still have hand sanitizer. We still spray the pews. We still do everything we can to protect the body of Christ. But out of nowhere, everybody just seemed to get it like that. Now, you can say that's coincidence. Or you can say that the enemy is on an attack with God's people. He is trying his best to shut the church down, stop the praise, stop the worship, stop the, the, the body of Christ joining together. We are living in a day and hour the devil is not happy when the church is fasting and praying. He does not like that plan. So he knows that whether it's through COVID or something of that nature, well, if they get COVID, they have to stay home. So they're not in church. Now, you can say, well, pastor, they watch it online. Yes, they can. Thank the Lord for technology. But I'm going to tell you, it's not the same. 
watching it on television or watching it on YouTube or watching it on Facebook. And I know we probably got some folks streaming right now. And please hear this pastor very carefully and don't shoot the messenger. If, that, if you have to stay home for whatever reason, we completely and totally understand. But do not let the comforts and complacency of a couch or the relaxations of a recliner convince you and confuse you that that's going to be enough. There is something to be said about coming into the house of the Lord and joining together with God's people and holding hands metaphorically and praying together and singing together and worshiping together. I know that God is no respecter of persons and He can come into your living room if that's the best you can do. But if that's not the best you can do, don't let the enemy confuse you that staying at home is the same as being with the body of Christ. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves as in the manner of some. There is something to be said when we come together as the body of Christ and we worship the Lord together one with another. The devil has us in this world believing that's the only safe place. We will relapse. Even Jesus found this out. While fasting changes our lives and sharpens our vision, it also raises the awareness level of the enemy. The enemy takes notice too. Because the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of hell is affected by a church that is powerful and triumphant. Jesus went on a fast. Even the devil, knowing God himself was fasting, he wouldn't even let God get a quiet fast. In Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4, it is very evident that even the Son of the Most High God could not even get through a 40-day trial of fasting before the enemy had something to say about it. God himself. I mean, you would think the devil had already been up in heaven before. He already knew who Jesus was. This wasn't like this was some, you know, uh, new person he never had seen before. He already kind of knew. They, they already, if you will, kind of knew of each other. And even God himself had to, during his time of fasting, God incarnate, even the devil thought, I'll even try to see if I can get God to mess up during a fast. Think about that. You think if the devil himself tried to get God to mess up on a fast, he's not going to try to see if you'll mess up on a fast? Because he knows we're not God. Now, we're made in the image of God. But he knows we're not God. So if he's willing to try God out, you don't think he's going to try us out? You don't think he's going to attack us? You don't think he's going to try to make it hard and difficult on us? Or I told you the very first week, you're going to smell things you didn't even know you wanted anymore, with burgers and pizzas, and you're going to smell things, or you're going to, you're going to, you know, be sitting there, you know, on the couch or whatever else, and you're going to re- realize how much free time you actually have because you went to grab the iPad, but realize you're sacrificing the iPad or the television, and you realize, wow, I have so much more time on my hands now than I used to. You don't realize it, but you don't think the devil is going to tempt you with something? He's not going to let you get away with it scot-free. Even Jesus faced it. But there is ways to avoid spiritual relapse in the body of Christ. There are ways to keep yourself from this devastating pitfall. The first way you can do it is by getting an attitude of commitment. Making a mental note, I don't care what comes my way. I don't care what the devil throws my way. I don't care what the devil says about me. I will not turn my back on God now. An attitude of commitment. Because see, here's what the last two years have taught us. That people's commitment level 
is not the same as it used to be. If there's ever anything we've learned over the last two years, we have found out people are not committed like they used to be. You would have never in a million years, 10, 5, 10, 12 years ago, ever been able to tell your employer flat out, I'm just not coming in without repercussions. But you can sneeze one time and say, I don't feel good, and they can't fire you because they have to take, make sure that you don't have COVID. Hello? You can be belligerent. You can be disrespectful. And they're afraid to fire you because they can't find replacements for you anyway because nobody wants to work. A commitment issue. You got people. Now, I, you know me. I try my best to stay out of the politics and the pulpit. I feel like that's like oil and water. They don't mix well together. But I'm just going to be frank with you. When you start giving people free money, don't expect them to go to work. I mean, you can get mad, sad, or glad the preacher not come back next week, but if you give it for free, they're not going to buy it. it I've, I've often said this to teenagers when I have talked to them about the purpose of purity and living a life of purity. Uh, don't expect uh, for someone to purchase the product if you're going to give them the product for free. They're not going to put a ring on your finger if they can get all the benefits without having the commitment to it. Hello? One old man, one old pastor one time said, don't expect them to buy the cow if you're providing the milk. That's what he said. The reality is the same way spiritually. It's the same way in this world. Don't expect the world to go back to work. Don't expect them to be, if we're going to give them the benefits of what working's like, but not make them have to be accountable for what work is like. But before I crucify the world, let me say this, though, to be cognizant of where we live. But if we're not careful, that's what we're doing in the church, too. We're making it so convenient for people when it comes to church. And you say, well, Pastor, should we not do technology? No, no. What I'm saying to you is, is we've gotten so committed, if you will, to producing a product of an uh, online campus church that we have forgotten what it means to be an on-campus church. We'd rather have an online church than an in-house church. And God did not call us to be online. He called us to be hands and feet extended in-house, then go out-house and do the will of the Lord and bring those people back in-house. Now, if all you can do right now is online campus because of certain situations and safety protocols, God bless you, but that should not be the end game. That should just be for a season. But the problem is we have gotten to a season of a commitment issue. One of the best ways to avoid relapse of sinful habits or feasting on fleshly desires that removed out all of those negative things during your fast is an attitude of commitment. You have to make yourself say, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I know it's hard. I, I understand. I'm on this fast with you too. I get that it's hard. But you know, even though I wanted to dip the toast in the bacon grease and I really wanted it and it smelled delightful, you know what I had to do? I had to pack it up in a box and stake it, take it home and hide it in the back of the refrigerator and pray it lasts till next Sunday so I can have that bacon again. It's been committed. And every time I open that refrigerator, I shove something in front of it just so I don't even see it anymore. Right now, it could have gangrene for all I know, but it's in there just in case. Now, next Sunday, I might open it up before church, and it might look moldy, and I will may pray over it, need it anyway. I don't know. We'll see. But you know what? It's there just to remind me I'm going to make it. I'm committed to the cause. I'm, I'm going to finish this thing out strong. 
It's the same way spiritually in the body of Christ. We have to come to a point that we realize, devil, you can try to you can try to stop us. You can try to shut us down. You can try to make sure we don't meet together. You can do whatever you want to, but we are committed. If God be for me, who's going to be against me? We are committed to finishing this race. Let us run the race that's been set before us, and let's lay aside every weight and, and snare that so easily entangles so we can finish and hear, well done. We want to do well in this race that we're running. we got to finish strong. Proverbs 16 and 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. and He will establish your plans. Commit it to the Lord. What are you saying, preacher? Commit to reading your Bible. Don't quit that. Commit to continuing to pray. Just because we don't come here on Monday nights maybe for, for the rest of the year, every Monday night at 7 p.m. doesn't mean you still can't pray. You don't have to just come here to pray. Learn to pray at home. Learn to pray in your car. Learn to have a develop a, a prayer life. You can pray without us here. Continue to pray. Commit to attending church. Commit to keeping up with your giving as much as possible. Commit to joining a Bible study. Commit to reaching lost people. Commit to never quitting. Whatever it is, just don't quit. Commit to the Lord that you're going to make it when it's all said and done. Psalms 37, verse 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust Him and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and your vindication like the noonday sun. But before God's going to vindicate you and before God's going to let your righteousness shine before the nations, there is something you have to do before that. He doesn't say, I will let your righteousness shine and I will vindicate you and you don't have nothing to do about it. I'll just do it for free. I'll just do it for you. That's not what it says. It says before that, you must commit your way to the Lord and trust him and then he will do this. But the key quote there is first, you've got to commit to the Lord before he does that. There's an element of commitment. Commitment. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, verse 8 through 14, For you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children in the light, for the fruit of the Spirit is all is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things which are done in secret. But all things are, that are exposed are manifested by the light, for whatever makes manifested is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. What the apostle Paul was telling the church at Ephesus is wake up. You can't keep going the way you're going. You better wake up. The times are getting hard. The times are going to be difficult. Christ is coming. If there's ever something the church needs to hear again, we have to wake up from our sleep and our slumber and realize that the day of redemption is drawing nigh. We better wake up and make sure our lamps are trimmed and make sure we have oil in the tank so that when the bridegroom comes, we're not running into town trying to buy it. But we're ready as soon as he gets here to take us out of here. We must wake up and be ready to go when he calls our name. One of the most common reasons relapse occurs is because an individual has lost their attitude of being committed or having an attitude of commitment. Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly 
in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Jesus did not die in vain. He died for a cause. He didn't die just because he had nothing better to do in heaven. He died for a specific reason. But that same reason, by him dying on the cross and declaring the most powerful three words ever uttered in human history, it is finished. As soon as he bowed his head and time ended and the earth shook with such ferociousness because of an earthquake and lightning flashed across the sky and thunder roared across the heavens. And everybody, including a Roman soldier standing around, says truly this man was the son of God. At that moment, God required us to have to make a decision. We are now faced in the day and hour that we're living in that there's more attacks against the cross of Christ than there are against any other religion that promotes anything in this world. They don't want you to talk about us a religion of suffering, a religion, a religion of sacrifice, even self-sacrifice, a religion of sacrificial love where I prefer my brothers rather than worry about my own needs. See, we're under a, the world teaches, worry about yourself, don't worry about nobody else. That's not how God teaches. The world says, look out for yourself. You better look out for your family. You better look out for your children. You better look out. While that it may be true, you need to take care of your family, God says, but you also should prefer your brethren. You should always be looking out to help your brother. If, your bro if you see your brother is walking on the side of the road and you pass by and you see that his ox stumbled in a ditch, the Bible says, walk on by and let him hope he figures it out and then go on about your business. That's what it says? No. It says you stop, you put your ox on the side of the road, you tie him off and you help get your brother's ox out the ditch. You help him. The Good Samaritan, we know that story. The pastor walks by his own kind. This is a Jewish man, been beaten beyond recognition. Pastor walks by and says, I'm busy. I got to get to the hospital. I got a funeral to do. I got visitations to do. I got to get to the, to the office and make sure that I get some things done, some paperwork done. I got some checks that Miss Carol needs to sign. I ain't got time to deal with you today. You figure it out. And he walked by. Then one of the church leaders, one of the other Leaders in the body of Christ comes by and says, well, a pastor didn't stop by. It ain't my responsibility to stop by. I'm busy. I got to get home. I got to get ready for church. I got to study my Sunday school lesson. Uh, we got a council meeting tonight. I don't have time to deal with this. And he walks by. We're not talking about our enemy. We're talking about the people that look same same. Ethnicity, same flesh and blood, same Jewish people. They're all, they're all like one each other. They're the same. But brother, I don't have time to deal with you today. I got my own problems to worry about. I ain't got time to deal with yours. And he walked by. The enemy walks by. The Samaritan, the half-breed, the half-Gentile, the half-Jew, the one that everybody else said, you know, you're not welcome here. You don't, you don't get an inheritance. You don't get any land. You're not welcomed here. You're not allowed to be a part of us. You, you, we don't, we don't, we can't deal with you. You're not considered like us. You need to go on and mind your own business. You go worship in your little place. We worship in ours. Don't even come to the same church as us. Hello? Is that not what the Samaritan woman told Jesus at the well? The Jews say everybody has to worship at the mountain. Samaritans say we're to, we don't know where to worship. Jesus said it ain't about where. It's about how you worship. The Jewish people were saying, don't come to our city. 
don't come into our church. They would actually navigate all the way around trying their best to avoid walking through Samaria because they had such distaste for it. In fact, some theologians say that when people would come to the outskirts of Samaria, they would spit on the ground and take their sandal and put it over the dust and kick up dust in their feet as if to almost say, you're not even worthy of our presence and walk around the city. That same half-breed not welcome to come to our church, you don't belong here person, Brother Chris, saw the man laying in the road that is one of the ones that said, you're not like us, you don't look like us, you're not a part of it. And instead of him walking by saying, all of the years of hurt you have said about me, all of the years of hate you perpetrated about me, all of the years of malicious gossip and slander that you have, have spread about town, you know what, you deserve to lay here and die. All, you know, that's karma. If you wouldn't have been such a low-down scum of the earth, you know what, maybe you wouldn't be in this situation. Instead of him being like, you deserve to be there, you know what the Bible said he did? He knew the guy didn't like him. He knew the guy had spread stuff about him. He knew the guy hated his guts. He knew the guy would be mortally embarrassed. But you know what I learned something about that story? That when you hit rock bottom, you really don't care if somebody will help you out. You're just needing somebody to help you out. It don't matter if it's your enemy, your friend, or your foe. At the end of the day, if you're dying, you'll let, you'll let anybody help you at that moment. Beggars can't be choosers at that point. And that low-life man bent down off of his own camel donkey, took his own medical supply case, took out his own bandages, took out his own oil, took out his own water, bandaged the man up with his own stuff. Not, not the Jewish man's, his own personal. He, you, know what he, you know what even amazed me, Sister Brenda? He didn't even call the preacher that just walked by 10 minutes earlier and asked for a reimbursement from the church either. Hello? That's good preaching even if you're not Pentecostal. He didn't even ask for reimbursement. He said it's not about the money. It's about the act of service. He put him on his own donkey, which means he can't ride. <laughs> there ain't enough room for all of us on here. He walks that man to town. You think he's already done enough. He walks to the local hotel. You, you think, okay, I'm going to give him one night stay. Good luck. Hope he doesn't die after this. If he needs anything else, good luck. But, hey, I did all I'm supposed to do. Your preacher didn't even stop by and visit you. He left you laying dying in the road, and your Sunday school teacher didn't even care you were dying. They left you, buddy. At least I got you up off the ground. That's not how the story ends. The Bible says that this Samaritan, he walks in, and he says, I'll tell you what, for the next year, not a night, not a day, not even a week. For the next year, whatever this man needs, you make sure he has it. And when I come back through here, whatever, whatever the tab is, I'll pay it. That man's more spiritual than I am. I wouldn't have done that. I'm going to tell you that right now. I ain't never, I'm putting nobody in a hotel for a year and tell them, hey, you run up whatever tab you want, I'll pay in a year. You know how much room service they'll probably put on my tab if they know that they can do that for a year? I'm not paying for a filet mignon room service for the rest for a whole year. They've lost their mind. I might put you up for a night to get you out the cold, but I'll also bring you Wendy's Frosty for a dollar. That's it. Like, don't mess with me. Paying no tab. But he never asked a question. You know what he said? Whatever he occurs and charges, when I come back through, I'll pay every one of them. It was symbolic of what Jesus Christ would do. The devil walked by. The Bible says to us, I believe it's in the book of Ezekiel. The Bible said, I saw you when you were still writhing in blood. 
dying with your own umbilical cord tied around your neck. And the Bible said, God said to Ezekiel, he said, when I saw, talking about the nation of Israel, when I saw you dying in your own blood, drowning, suffocating in your own blood and umbilical cord, I, I cut the umbilical cord, Brother Causey, I cleaned you up, and I took you in, and I protected you. It was a metaphor. See, the devil will leave you laying in the road to die. That's what he wants you to do. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He'll watch you die in the road. He'll let so, the people in your life that you call your so-called friends walk right by you and watch them watch you die. And some of us got friends that they're our friends when we're given, but they certainly aren't our friends when we're not given. Hello. Huh. That's good preaching. And some of our old friends would see us in a ditch and walk by and say, I would help you, Sister Lila Faith, but uh, I'm busy today. I don't have time today. I can't get my hands dirty. I can't help you today. And they'll walk by you. You don't believe it? Ask Job. I just taught it to our children and teenagers this morning. Job's been rock bottom. He's lost his family. He's lost his kids. He's lost his cattle. He's lost everything. His three friends show up to encourage him. And you know all they do is make matters worse. They show up. For seven days they don't say nothing. I don't need somebody to sit here and wallow in self-pity with me. Don't come visit me and then don't speak to me. I mean, don't come to my house, knock on my door, and then come on in. I invite you in. Don't come on side. Don't sit at my house and eat my groceries for seven days and don't even speak to me. I'm going to kick you out of the house. I'm just going to tell you that right now. Don't say a word for seven days. When they finally open their mouth, Eliphaz, the first guy, opens his mouth and he goes, Hey, Job, it's your own fault, son. You must have sinned against God. It's your own fault. Well, thank you for your visit today. How would you like it if, like, when I came to visit you at the hospital and they tell you that, you know, you're facing some kind of tragedy or whatever, and I say, oh, you probably should have prayed more. Probably God's punishing you because you did something wrong. Boy, you really want to come back the next week to my church, wouldn't you? Yeah, some friend I am, but that's what he said. Job, you sinned. It's your own fault. Fix it. Job's like, it ain't my own fault. Next guy chimes in. Well, Job, it has to be. You know the wicked can't be, you know, the righteous. The Lord protects the wicked, gets punished. Job, they, you know, it got so bad. Job finally just has enough. He blows up, and he's like, you know, I know the Lord, my Redeemer lives. He blows That by the end of the book, the Bible says the Lord got so mad that, they, that he said, hey, boys, unless Job prays for you, I'm going to kill all three of y'all. That's pretty bad. And he's like, but you better pray that Job prays for you, and I might spare you. They're all like, oh, Job, you're our best friend, buddy. We love you, man. Don't let us die. If I was Job, I'd have been like, go ahead, God, your turn. I'm good. Thanks. They've been here for like three weeks, and they ain't really helped me. All right, God. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, I would pray for you, but I'm busy this week. I can't help you. And I'd have walked right out that house. Better hope I'm not in that situation. You be my friend. You're in trouble. But Job, the Bible says Job was the righteous man. He prayed, and he spared their life, and God blessed him. I say all that to say this, even that, that Samaritan. See, the devil will allow people, be allow you to have people in your life that say they're your so-called friends, but they'll watch you be dying. But sometimes it's your enemy, the person you don't speak to at church, the person you can't get along with at church, the person you hadn't talked to in years. Sometimes it's that person that when you hit rock bottom, they're the first one to call or the first one to show up at your doorstep or the first one to say, is there anything I can do for you? And that was the picture of what Jesus Christ is saying. He saw us in our lowest state. But even when we, the Bible talks about, even when we were at enmity with God, meaning when we were the enemy of God, God sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, that while we still yet were in sin, Christ came and He died for us. Even when we didn't want anything to do with God, God had a plan to do something with us. And symbolically, Jesus, when He paid that debt, what He was really telling the Father is whatever charges they ever occur over the remaining portion of their life, 
All I need to know is the next time they call on my name, just know as soon as they call on my name and say they've messed up for the last year or the last month or the last day, Lord, as soon as they call on my name, don't worry. I've already got a tab set aside. My blood has paid for it. As long as they commit to me, they turn to me, and they turn from their wicked ways, and they say that I am Lord and Savior of their life, whatever they have done wrong, doesn't matter how long the rap sheet is, I will already pay the debt immediately just like that, no matter what they charge. How do you avoid spiritual relapse? You commit to the Lord. You commit to the Lord. Next week I'm going to talk about part two of this. There's another element to this. It's not about just committing, but that God calls us to have to make some decisions. We talked about that fasting was not a diet, it's a decision. But when you come off of fasting, it's the same thing. It's, you just don't go back to what you used to do. You, you have to make a decision to keep going. To keep serving the Lord. To keep trusting the Lord. Because as we've seen over the last three weeks, the devil is relentless. He's not going to stop. You know how you can tell when you and God are maybe not where you need to be? When the devil stops fighting you. Because the Bible says a kingdom of divided against itself shall not stand. So if the devil's not fighting you, he's not afraid of you. If the devil's not raging, now I know God can protect us, but I'm talking about if you go for a whole year and you never face a, a tragedy or an event, I'd first be praying, okay, Lord, I thank you that you protected me and I hope you and I are still good. But a lot of times, the devil's going to try it if he's afraid of you. But if he's not afraid of you, he's not going to fight you. And oftentimes I hear people say, Pastor, I had somebody just this week tell me, Pastor, I don't feel like I can get my head above the water. It seems like every time I literally think that I'm coming up to the surface, I feel like something pushes me back down beneath. You know what I said to them? I said, are you on our fast with us? They said, yes. I said, there's your answer. The devil ain't going to let you get up from the ground. The devil ain't going to let you stand up on your own two feet. He's going to do everything he can to kick you down, stomp you down, put you down. I mean, it's in our own church. We see it. Prime example. I mean, just in this 21-day fast, we've had a teenager that's had to have MRIs with hip dysplasia and issues. As soon as they took the MRI, whole family gets hit with COVID. They think that one of, them, one of them gets hit with COVID. They think they're coming out. Next one gets hit. They think they're coming out. Now migraines are coming up, making them sick and seeing double vision and can't, can't see straight. Still don't really have answers on the hip dysplasia. Now we're on week, starting week three of all this. Still quarantined. Still sick. Can't do nothing. Don't know what's going on. Do you think the devil really cares? No. He cares less. He'll kick you down as hard as he can. But I'm here to remind this body of believers before we dismiss, Ms. Carrie, you come, before we dismiss, if you commit your ways to the Lord, He is faithful and just to draw near to you. The Bible says, draw nigh unto the Lord, and He will draw nigh to you. You have to commit to the Lord. I'm going to finish by this story, and then we're going to be dismissed. 1 Peter 5.18 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil pours around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We know that. We've heard that countless times. We've heard that scripture countless times. The devil's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There was a 17-year-old boy who was, at that time, not the baby of the family, but he was next in line. He had 11 brothers. This boy, 17-year-old boy, 
he had a dream that God was going to take him places one day. He had a, incredible dreams. He told his, his family his dreams. They laughed at him and basically told him he was a nut job. He had another dream. He said, guys, I believe God's given me a word. And they're like, yeah, right. You're 17 years old. What do you know about life and hardship? Bro, you've never even been out of daddy's house. And they made fun of him. One day, he goes to visit his brothers on their job site. He gets there. And he's like, hey, I just want to see how y'all are doing. They're like, we hate that guy. He is so annoying. They take this 17-year-old boy. And they... Uh, they try to decide, look, he's getting on our nerves. Well, they find out that there's a local business that specializes in getting rid of your unwanted siblings. So they send him off to, if you will, boarding school. It'll be good for him. It'll make a man out of him. Get rid of him. Leave us alone. They ship him off. He goes far away from home. Once he arrives at the location, one of the leaders in that community took a special interest in him. He said, man, there's something different about you. So he says, hey, man, I want you to come Hang out with my family. I'll be a part of our family. So basically, kind of adopts him, if you will. Brings him in the house. Lets him meet with all his family, his kids. All people that work for him. Lets him hang out with them. He even says, hey man, everything in my house, just you're just like one of my own boys, man. You're just like one of our own. You have anything in this house, anything you want, man. Just, it's all you. 17-year-old boy is like, wow. Man, my daddy didn't even treat me this good. I had 11 other brothers who hated my guts. Man, this is pretty good. Things are going great. Remember I just read to you, First Peter, the enemy will, pour around like, uh, will, will come around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. One day, Brother Chris, this 17-year-old, he's chiseled, man. He's, he's got a nice suntan. He's ripped. The mistress of the house thinks he's pretty cute. Her husband's away on a business trip. She says, hey, I'm lonely. He's gone. He treats me like dirt. I'm lonely. Won't you come in and keep me comfortable and comfort me tonight? He said, no, ma'am, I can't do that. That's not how this works. Boy, listen, we brought you in. We adopted you. We made you part of our family. Just, just. He's like, no, ma'am. For two or three days, she continued to do that. One day, he comes in from doing stuff outside. He comes in to get him something to drink. She tries one more time. This time, Brother Chris, he's, he's wearing, a, wearing a jacket. She grabs hold of his jacket. and She said, boy, I said, I want you to keep me comfortable, uh, comfort to live, comforted tonight. He takes off running. She calls her husband. She calls the local authorities. She charges this man with statutory rape. She accuses him of defiling her. Brother James, the police show up. They put him in jail. They don't give him a call. They don't let him call a lawyer. They pretty much tell him, no, nah, man, you screwed this up bad, man. You're on your own. 
Wait till you get sentenced. The warden of the jail took a liking to him. He was like, man, this kid don't seem to be like the kind of guy that I see come through this prison a lot. This young man starts hanging out with some of the guys. They start telling them about their story and their life story. And he starts encouraging them. Hey, man, you, you know, when you get out of here, you're going to your, get a job, man. You're going to get your job back, man. Don't worry about it. Other guy, he's like, man, I wish I could tell you the same, dude, but I think you got a lot of enemies on your side. And you get out of here, you, you probably going to get killed, man. You, you got a lot of enemies. Good luck. The cartel will be looking for you when you get out of here. It's all, he's almost about to turn 30. 30. 30 years old. He's sitting there, April, and the warden calls him and says, Hey, a president is looking for you. They take him out of jail. He shows up to the Oval Office. The president says, I need your help. Everybody says, You're a pretty smart guy. You're almost 30. They say, You're a pretty smart guy. Tell me what I need to do about this. We got a national emergency and a crisis that we don't, I don't know what to do. This young man, 30, says, well, you're going to have a national disaster. This is what's about to happen. A national disaster getting ready to take place. You're really, literally getting ready to have, make national headline news. You do what you think, it's going to be bad. I'm just telling you. So the man says, the president says, what do I do? He said, listen, I'm telling you, if I, if I were in your shoes, I'd do A, B, C, and D if you don't want to be on CNN and Fox News. I'm just telling you. It's going to be bad. He said, all right. I'll tell you what. How about you lead the task force that's going to make sure this comes about? You lead it. You make sure that nothing bad happens. He said, who, me? Don't you remember? I'm the guy that got accused of statutory rape. He said, I'll pardon that debt. Don't worry about that. I got you. Yeah, but the enemy's pressing around and trying to take me out. I mean, I've been accused of all kinds of my family don't want me. My daddy don't. I mean, my daddy don't even know where I'm at. I can't even make a phone call home. My brothers don't want nothing to do with me. My, my family that I thought was my family that took me in is accusing me of a crime I didn't commit. You want to put me on front of the whole entire country, in front of the the television cameras and you want everybody in the nation to see me you know how many people be looking for me then he said yeah but I trust you man I got confidence in you he said here's my oval office ring my pen my special pen you keep it and you sign my name to anything that comes across this desk now the only thing I need you to do is just realize that in terms of chain of command, I make the final call. But outside of that, you can do whatever you want to do. And he saves, he does his thing. The country avoids a national disaster. I just told you the story of Joseph in a modern terms. Joseph was accused of everything you possibly, the enemy tried his best to t- take his life, take his integrity take his walk from God but you know what Joseph was he was committed he was committed that he was not going to defile himself you know you know how easy it would have been to go into Potiphar's wife and not get caught Potiphar was away he could have done it no who would have known but the Bible says the things we do in secret the Lord will reveal openly it would have got out just be sure your sins will find you out the Bible says Joseph said no no 
I know nobody may not know, but God will know I can't do that. I know what my brothers did, but even when his brothers showed up and he had every right to sentence them to life in prison, if you will, you know what he did, Brother Causey? He gave them food, gave them clothes, and he forgave them the same people who tried to kill him and sell him off. What are you saying, preacher? I'm telling you that if you stay committed to God, it doesn't matter how hard the devil slings his mud and does it. It'll be like putting something, you know, you've never seen those things like, you know, people wax a car or something like that, and you throw something on it, it just slides right off. It just, just, just like it don't even stick. It just right back off. When you commit to the Lord, the devil can try anything he wants, but God won't let it lay claim to your charge if you stay to him. He will not let you go down without a fight. God is on our side will you stand all over the house today heavenly father I have done my very best today to preach your unadulterated word I may not have done the best that could be done by so many others but I felt like I have done my best in bringing a product that would be pleasing to you Lord as we get ready to do this few minutes of consecration I pray you speak to the hearts of the believers those in here no one looking around, no eyes, all heads bowed, eyes closed. I want to ask this one question, and that's it. Then we're going to pray and have the benediction and be dismissed. Here's my, here's my question. If you're in this house today and you say, Pastor, during this last 14 days, finishing up this 21 days, the devil's really attacked me. He's attacked my family. He's, he's whatever. But I want to make a commitment today to God and say, God, I don't care what the enemy does, what he brings my way. I want to stay true to my faith in Jesus Christ. I want to make sure that I'm committed to the end of making sure that I stay with Jesus no matter what. I don't care how I have to do it, Pastor. I just want to make sure that I'm committed to Jesus no matter what. I want you to slip up your hand wherever you are. Yes, yes, yes. Committed all the way to the end. Yes, yes. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, you have seen the hearts of the believers, men and women standing in this place today. There are men and women who have made a declaration, if you will, of faith. And have said before God and man, in this moment, I am committed to Jesus Christ. God, I pray you would bless them for such boldness such passion even though it may put a target on their back from the enemy we know that at the end of the day if God be for us who's going to be against us I pray you'd encourage them, you'd strengthen them and you would allow them to feel the presence of the Lord in their heart and life do not let them leave this place without knowing God has visited his people today in Jesus mighty precious name we pray God's people together said amen let me pray this prayer over you really quickly before we do our church benediction and proclamation may the Lord bless you may he keep you may he make his face shine upon you give you the peace of God give you strength to continue to make it his countenance be favorable towards you but I want you to understand that while I pray that for you today I also want you to commit your ways unto the Lord so that he will bless you and keep you 
and shine his face upon you, be favorable to you. But he's only going to do that if you commit to him too. So let's say our proclamation and benediction. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Before we pray our benediction, prayer, all of our online campus that are with us today, God bless you. We